Welcome back, everyone. My name is Jerry Maguire, and I'm here at the Ironing Board with my co-host Anne McLaughlin, <laughs> the MP for Glasgow Northeast. Hi, Anne. How's it going? Hi, Jerry. Yeah, I'm fine. Sitting at the Ironing Board. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have to mention that? Sorry, sorry. It's, it's part of the equipment. I am knackered. It's very early on a Saturday morning. It's miserable outside. But we've got. Um, I'm going on the uh, anti-racism rally, and your wife is going to eat fire later, yes. and you want to be there to make sure yeah. the fire's safe. That's not a threat. I'd like to make clear to everyone. <laughs> uh, it's not. She's going to eat fire. She is literally going to fire eat. So yeah, <laughs> that's my day. Um, anyway, that's why we're here really early at yeah. the crack of dawn to talk about Trident opposition. Um, the SNP tabled a motion to scrap Trident. This was then defeated by pretty much every non-SNP MP going. Mm-hmm. You know, bar staff, everyone sort of lined up against it. <laughs> um, I don't think I was really surprised by the result necessarily, but I was kind of surprised by the scale of that. What do you mm. think about the, the, the amount of opposition that that motion got? Well, I think there were three Labour MPs voted with us, which is fantastic for those three, but really, really stunned by the rest of them. I don't think they voted against it. I think they might have abstained or just not turned up that day, mm. but it was, yeah, it was the SNP opposition day, so we get to choose up to two debates. That was one of them, and the other was the closure of the tax offices. And yeah, great arguments from the SNP speakers, from the other anti-Trident speakers, but yes, utterly thrashed. Um, so it's clear to me, Britain wants Trident, Scotland doesn't. Mm, what can we do about that? Mm, what is that? I mean, that that's a very good point because forget forget the fact it's the SNP for a minute. Basically, mm-hmm. all of Scotland's representatives said we want this off, mm-hmm. and every representative, basically from England, Northern Ireland, and Wales, basically turned up and said no. In effect, mm-hmm. really. So yeah, that was pretty good. What do you think about Labour MP John Woodcock? I don't know if you heard this. He's Barrow and Furnace MP, I think, where right. the submarines are built or partly built, and he went about sticking little. Um, submarine flyers on people's doors to kind of promote oh, it. Yeah, yeah, I did hear about this. It was like when you're in a hotel and you've got the Do Not Disturb sign, he got these submarines made up and put them on the Labour MPs' office doors. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, what do I think about that? I think, are you sure you're in the right party? Um, I think Brendan O'Hara, the uh, SNP MP for Argyll and Butte, at the area where Trident is is housed. So obviously an area where a lot of jobs are currently uh, available because of that was the one that brought forward the debate. And his argument was that we can redeploy people. Uh, we don't have to, their de- employment isn't totally dependent yeah. on us having a nuclear capacity. But this guy very crassly just decided it's all about the jobs that people currently have, never mind the dangers to the world, never mind the dangers to the people living in the not-too-distant vicinity from from Trident, you know, never mind the morality, you know, I, and, and I thought it was really tacky. Yeah. It reminded me of Buckfast Abbey mm. in many ways, because, the, stay with me in this one, because that's like <laughs> a really nice corner, I think, of Devon, this beautiful Buckfast Abbey, and they make a lot of money, <laughs> and they send a lot of Buckfast north, and don't really know what happens to it after that, they don't really care. Yeah. So it's a bit of Buckfast Abbey. Yeah, about yeah, I've got you now. George Osborne this week performed a U-turn on tax credits. We're set to cut an average family's income by £1,000 a year. Now, I'm very cynical of U-turns. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to Independent, Universal Credit, the successor to tax mm-hmm. credits, is basically going to make this up 
in the coming years. When the Chancellor announced that £1,000, you know, the tax credit was going to be wound back, what was people's immediate reaction to it? Were people happy about it? Did they see through it? Like, what was... I mean, the point, I actually was really uh, happy about it for a number of reasons. One, it's not going to happen. And in actual fact, it was something like 250,000 families in Scotland next April would have lost on average 1,500 a year. And longer term, there was something like 200,000 families were going to lose 3,000 a year. So, yeah, I was really happy because those families who will have been losing sleep, I was losing sleep over it, worrying about them, no longer face that immediate threat. So, one, I was happy in that respect. Secondly, I was happy because hundreds of people have emailed me from this constituency Thousands of people across the UK have been fighting this and campaigning against this. And similar to the school transport issue, they won. Now, that you have to applaud people for that. You have to applaud them for the persistence. And if and I saw some people cynically saying, I don't know what you're all celebrating for because, you know, they're going to take it, you know, somehow. Well, talk about raining on people's parades. If we want people to engage and empower themselves, then when they get victories, no matter how small the victory you need to applaud that and you need to, you know, note it. Now, the point is, of course he's going to try and take it back and of course he's going to try and take it from the poorest people in the country. But the point is, he's not going to be able to do it right away. And with universal credit, it's going to be in the future. So it's not going to affect people right now and their incomes right now. And it gives us time to fight whatever else he's going to do. And who knows, maybe these forecasts are going to be correct. Maybe the income is going to go up and maybe it's not all ideologically driven by the Tories. Now, it is partly that they just want to hammer the poor. It is partly that they want to teach people a lesson for not you know, being wealthy and for, for, um, for not having well-paid jobs. But it is also partly because as they see it, there's less money and they need to implement the cuts. So who knows what's going to happen next? But the point is as well, all those people that fought it and won, they can now, they'll now have the strength to fight the next thing that he tries to do to us. And we'll keep fighting until we're no longer controlled by these people and, and we can actually do something significant about it. So I do congratulate people. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I've lost count of the number of political parties and newspapers that have claimed the credit. Let's just give the credit to the people of uh, the these islands who, who in their thousands, put pressure on us to put pressure on him. I suppose the best thing you can do with a Tory government is to kick it into the long grass and if we keep kicking yes. then eventually we might not have to play that game anymore. Yes, exactly. So well summed up. A lot was made about Alex Salmond missing the Prime Minister's announcement in Syria. Now as we all know the SNP have been very quiet on war, you know they've hardly, they've hardly got a peep at the SNP. <laughs> um, oh, 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 hang on, it's a distraction. Hang on, it's nonsense. Um, what did you think about the brief puff of smoke around Alex Salmond's story about missing the, about missing the announcement? Oh, do you know what? I mean... At the moment, or at all times, you know, if you're in the SNP, there's going to be sections of the media and also all of the opposition politicians are going to pick up on anything. So there's not anything he could have done that they wouldn't have tried to give him a kick in for. But, you know, what he was actually doing was unveiling a portrait of himself and raising over 50 grand for charity. What a terrible thing to do. How dare you, Alex Salmond? Oh, he's a monster. <laughs> the man is. No, but seriously, I mean, Alec um, will be one of the leading, as you know, in the role that he has, one of the leading um, people in the SNP 
on all matters to do with foreign affairs and particularly to do with Syria. And he's got a very strong track record. And uh, I mean, any criticism, what was it he was actually going to do when the Prime Minister was making a statement? He was going to ask a question that Cameron wasn't going to answer, that we were all perfectly capable of asking, you know, there's going to be plenty more opportunities in the coming days and weeks for Alex Salmond to make the feelings of the SNP clear. I mean, I, I believe that um, as a spokesman, he'd been pre-briefed about what was going to be said anyway. And like you're saying, was he meant to just be sitting there nodding? I know. You know? And I'm guessing that Click Sergeant have had this event in the calendar for a while. You know, sooner than in Cameron's announcement. So, mm. but yeah, it was a great tweet. Many thanks. What he tweeted was, "Many thanks to the opposition today for raising the profile of my portrait, which raised fifty-one thousand five hundred pounds for Click Sergeant, a great cause." <laughs> I thought it was a really dry response. <laughs> yeah, he's class act, Alec. George Osborne said that the five percent tax levied on sanitary products would be redirected to women's charities. Now, I've got a wee bit of sympathy with George Osborne for this because if it's true, as he says, that this tax is enforced on him. Um, then to redistribute that money is sort of the best he could do. So I feel kind of dirty saying that I kind of sympathise with George Osborne. <laughs> um, so I don't really know. I don't really know what to say other than yes, George. But you did raise a good uh, point in Twitter about how much of that money will go to Scottish charities. Mm. What, what was kind of the thought behind that? Well, I thought what he said was now the, the argument he was making, and I need to look into this to get the the absolute facts. But the argument he was making is because of European legislation. He's not allowed to not charge something in terms of uh, tax. So he has no choice. If that is true, then the money that is raised from the tampon tax is going to go to women's charities. And if that is true, that's good. If A, I think he did name the charities. And it, you know, it was like Women's Aid and um, I can't remember the others. So one, one thing that came from that for me is, are they going to Women's Aid, which is the, the one in England, or is it going to be distributed, given that it's a tax that's paid by women across the UK, is it going to be distributed in the way that all of our public funding is distributed in a, well, I won't say equitable way, but proportionate way, yeah, yeah. Hmm. or not? So are the Scottish charities going to be getting some of this money? However, since then, other people have raised other concerns, and so I'm sort of going to go back and reserve judgment now, because... Some people are saying that he's uh, cutting funding to a lot of these organisations and using this to sort of soften the blow. I thought it was additional to whatever else they already receive. And other women and men are objecting to him doing it full stop. I saw some tweets saying things like, um, so now women have to pay for um, men battering them or something and in effect you know so women through using tampons and paying the tampon tax are actually going to have to fund services that protect other women from um you know abuse abuse like but uh, do you know i'm not really sure about that argument uh, i'd need to hear it properly mm -hmm. because I, I think yeah i'm a woman i'm happy to um, i'm not happy that it, domestic abuse uh, against uh, women exists but while it exists i don't see that it's something that only men should pay for it's something that we should all you know pay you know what i mean to, if, if it is true that he has to charge something for this then i can see in some ways like you're saying i find it difficult to levy criticism if he's thinking right this money we've got this money where mm. can it go women's charities makes sense to some degree but yeah if it's making up shortfalls and other things then it's very yeah. dodgy. It's also back to the idea of patronage again that mm. the, the Chancellor can dole out money to whoever he sees fit and mm. what type of relationship men will expect from those charities, what kind of strings yeah. will be attached. So 
once you're into the realms of giving away money to a charity as a government, you're sort of implying a different relationship maybe. Mm. That's kind of interesting. Back to the idea about, yeah, taxes should be equitably distributed, but if you're just giving it to one charity, yeah. what's, what's their distribution model? Yeah, yeah, I know. So that, well, that was what I was questioning, basically. But we'll wait and see. Now, the Politicians Awards... Politician Awards 2015 happened um, the other week and I noticed that David Mundell was nominated for Best Scot at Westminster. <laughs> now, that's got to be a charity nomination, like an outreach programme for poor <laughs> MPs. Um, what was the highlight of the night for you, Anne? I know you were there. Uh, the highlight of the night was Gordon Aikman receiving, for the second year running, the Campaigner of the Year Award. He's got motor neuron disease and I think most people know about him by now, but... They uh, took the microphone down to him, took the award down to him. He was seated at the, the front table and he spoke very movingly, very calmly. Not, you know, his voice did not break at all. He just spoke very calmly. and But he said things, I think the fact that he was speaking so calmly gave it more impact and he said this time last year I got this award I was able to walk up on that stage now I can't take a step unaided and this time last year I sat here and ate dinner now somebody has to feed me and of course your mind is thinking and this time next year um and what what you know and I hate people saying this sometimes because it can sound really patronizing but what courage has he got to to do that and I'm speaking as somebody who was sat at a table with a, a nominee the one of the other organizations that was nominated for that award I was with the British Deaf Association but they all got up and stood up and applauded uh, Gordon Aikman so for me that was the highlight of the night it's a really moving story and it's also one of the ones that cuts across all political sides Aye. really someone's someone has has a disease through just through chance, just through bad luck, and because it's someone in the room, like you're saying, it's going to make it very visible. I wonder if it'll have an impact on people's opinion on motor neuron disease and funding because it's so close to decision makers that are in that room. I think it already has. I think that's the reason he got the award is because he's he's already managed to do that. It's very hard to resist someone who is able to sit there and say, this is you know me, because he already was involved politically and he knew lots of politicians, you know me, you're going to see me deteriorating and um, and I'm going to be telling you exactly what it's like and exactly what the services out there are like. And I know I know he's actually he's met with uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister, he's met with lots of people and he has made an impact already. So they have changed the way that they do things. They, they have, as far as I know, added on services Um and I don't know the whole detail, but I know that he's already made a big impact. We spoke last time, man, about a debate that you were leading in Westminster Hall about loved ones dying abroad. And that happened a few days after we put the podcast up last time. So you talked about some real life examples, including a bit of personal experience. What did you think about the responses you got? I was really uh, surprised by the responses in a good way. I was raising the issue generally of, you know, when somebody from this country dies abroad, um, the support that their family gets and it's not been good enough. And, and I said in the debate, I know that because my brother died abroad and the experience of the so-called support from the Foreign and Commonwealth Office was absolutely dreadful. It made it so much worse. So um, since then, I 
uh, have worked with other campaigners who, you know, I know what they're saying is correct because my experience mirrored theirs. But also since then, uh, things have improved and the Foreign Affairs Committee put together a report and the government responded to that and agreed to do a number of things. The reason I was calling the debate is because I wanted a progress report on some of those things. I wanted to know when they were going to start other things because they, they're, they're kind of behind a wee bit with some of the things they were going to do. And I wanted to know if they'd reviewed some of the things that they thought was going, were going to work that hadn't. But the minister was incredible. He um, said that he... I had asked in the debate, would he meet with me and possibly some of the campaigners so that we could talk in more detail about specifics. Um, and he... Uh, I didn't expect him to say yes. I thought what he would say is, my officials will meet with you in something vague. But no, he said that he is very motivated to um, put right whatever needs to be put right. And to be fair, it's not really a party political thing. My brother died in 2009. I'm sure it was Labour that was in power. What I'm saying is I think it's a more of a cultural thing within the Foreign and Commonwealth Office rather than party political. So I feel reassured that, you know, I certainly feel confident that he's motivated. He spoke to me after the debate and we're going to meet up. So I'm going to meet him and then myself and some of the campaigners are going to meet with him. And I'm really pleased about that because he's not going to waste his time doing that if he's not planning to actually listen and implement some of these changes. So if you had communication then, he is definitely going to meet you. Have you got arrangements then to meet him in the coming yeah, weeks? Yeah, see once a minister says, we haven't actually set a date yet, but see once a minister says on public record that they're going to meet you, they'll meet you. But he came up to me afterwards and talked to me a wee bit more about it and um, and seemingly it had a bit of an impact um, that, you know, that I spoke about my own personal experience. I didn't say much about it. I simply said that lest anyone think that these people that are saying, that are campaigning, are sort of you know, grief magnifies your responses, but lest anyone think that what they're saying is not correct or is exaggerated, I've been through it, I've been them, so I know for a fact. Yeah, so I think um, he was just very keen to to hear about that and it seems to have made an impact that I got I got a wee bit upset and it was quite, I was going to say it was quite funny, it's not funny at all, but one of the other MPs who was participating in the debate could see that I was struggling. And um, and it just happens sometimes when you're speaking about personal stuff, you have to sort of compartmentalise it in your mind so you're not thinking about it, you're just saying the words. But, that you know, sometimes you just can't do that. And I really, my voice was breaking a wee bit, it was really embarrassing. And um, one of the other MPs said, would, would the, would the Honourable Lady like me to make an intervention? And I went, yes, please, and sat down. And then she's, she talked about something absolutely terrible that happened to two of her constituents. And I thought, how's that supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> <coughs> I've, got a, I've got a nice story. Um, this is, well, that's interesting because I read it on Hansard. I didn't watch it back. Mm. And I wondered what that intervention was. It was a, I thought, is this some sort of parliamentary thing I don't really know about? Can we, do you mind if I make an intervention? But I didn't realise that was it because you were getting a wee bit she emotional. She was just about. trying to help. Me out. And she did help me out. It really did give me time to just gather myself. But the fact that I got upset seems to have made an impact on the minister and on other people that I've heard from since. And it, I certainly didn't intend to do that. But 
maybe that's mm. maybe maybe you know maybe that's a good thing to do maybe we'll do it again it's <laughs> also uh, really interesting that that's you you had that kind of negative experience obviously your brother dying was a huge negative experience but with the experience with the authorities about mm. that but that happened before you were an mp so mm. now as an mp you've got a wee bit of a reality distortion field you know when mm. you phone up people maybe they're a wee bit more attentive yes you know the, the, the Anne McLaughlin that phones up today maybe gets different answers than Anne McLaughlin that phoned up a few years ago uh, which is terrible yeah so you you had a real first-hand experience of what a regular person would have got. Yes, I. Well, somebody, one of the Labour MPs was saying to me this week, you know, the Immigration Bill Committee had finished and, and we all just kind of got together because the debate comes back again next week. And one of them said to me, um, you know, how old are you? How many friends have you got? And how much have you been through in your life? Because everything we're talking about in this parliament, you've got a real life example <laughs> of it. And I said, well, I just knew all that misery would come in handy one day. <laughs> Put it to good use. Yeah. I think, I mean that is a real I think that's a real just get personal for a minute I think it's mm -hmm. a real strength you've got is that you have had a life outside of politics that you've mm -hmm. not just sort of left uni with a politics degree and went straight into politics and yeah. that's been your life that you've got a lot, of, a lot of background in that and it means I think that you're more attentive to people when they come to you with something that's outside your experience because you've had your own yeah don't have my own outside politics now but <laughs> but no I know I know I know what you mean I know what you mean Talking about the end of the Immigration uh, Bill Committee, um, the chair said at the very end of it that you gave a, quote, bogus point of order, but that it was so <laughs> eloquent he'd let it stand. How does it feel to have made a bogus point of order? <laughs> oh, do you know, it's all these wee things they do at the end of the committee. So we'd be meeting four times a week for five weeks. That's the, the report going now to the House of Commons. So the minister, who's the immigration minister who's on the bill committee, stands up, point of order, and his point of order is to thank everybody that's been involved in the process. And um, then the opposition person, which was the Labour uh, shadow, makes a point of order and does the same thing. And I thought, uh, well, hang on a minute. I mean, you're not speaking for me. I'm going to make my own point of order. <laughs> and he did. He just let me away with it. But I just told them, I didn't do the back slapping thing. I said... No, I don't. You did the face slapping thing. I thought <laughs> did I really? <laughs> well, it was, it was polite, but I could tell you were, you know... Well, I did, I did speak truthfully. I did say that the two ministers had been very respectful and comprehensive in their responses. But I felt it was my duty to point out that the responses were all wrong and the immigration bill was all wrong. So I wasn't saying, what a marvellous bill. It's a terrible bill. And the answers they gave were useless, but they did at least do it respectfully. Yeah. They were being polite. They were handling it well. <laughs> but what they were saying was rubbish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the last podcast, Anne, we spoke about an anti-Islamophobia event that you're going to speak at. Uh, what happened with that? Uh, yeah, it went ahead. It was um, it was well attended. Um, there was people from each of the parties. Uh, I was really quite surprised because the Tory person who spoke said that lots of people had said to her, it's not a good idea for you to speak at an anti-Islamophobia event at this current time. Oh. But basically, she told them to get lost. But the point is, why would anybody think that? It's, it's, it's bad to talk about hatred. I know. Like, that's basically what that is. It was really weird. So, yeah, I went along to it and, um, and I was really happy to support it and speak at it. Because, I mean, I've got friends uh, and I've seen on Facebook that one of them, for instance, uh, Councillor Shab Jaffrey, who's one of the SNP councillors in Glasgow, uh, talking about the Sun headline. I can't remember how many it said, but it was something like, 
one in five Muslims agrees with Daesh. They don't call it Daesh, I do. Um, but it agrees with terrorism, basically, which is utter nonsense. Where did that come from? But the point Shab was making was he has a 13-year-old son, I think it is, and he walks to school, and as he's walking to school, people are walking past him and seeing all these headlines. And, you know, there has been a rise in Islamophobia, and people are frightened. And, you you know, you heard some of the mosques were telling Muslims to stay at home and women not to go out on their own in Glasgow. Yeah. Oh, we can't have that. Yeah, we think of... we th- Sometimes we can romanticise Scotland and think, oh, we're just this great place and nothing bad could happen like that. But actually, language is really important, you know? And if, really? if, if people in the media and newspapers are, are kind of stoking it, the, even even in Scotland, mm-hmm. it can happen. I mean, there was something, I think, in Bishop Briggs. Something oh. happened at a, an Islamic centre. and They burnt I've, it down. Yeah, I've heard a few kind of stories, people I know that have, um, you know, just been getting abused in the street now, you know, more than usual. So yeah, language is really important. But back to that issue of language, because you mm. called it Daesh in the last podcast which is yeah. interesting that's the alternative name for this group yeah. but you you brought it up in the commons i think well Theresa may made a statement after the events in mm-hmm. paris um so her in her statement we get the opportunity to ask questions and she had been referring to islamic state or isis or isil and i asked if she would agree and encourage everybody else in the media and politics to stop using those terms because that's what they call themselves right the name that is given to them uh, by others is Daesh, which is a derogatory term. But it's really important because if you're constantly saying, you know, IS, and people know that's Islamic State, or you're saying Islamic State, then the, the word Islam becomes naturally associated with terrorist atrocities. Now, the Ku Klux Klan, Ku Klux Klan, we never called them the Christian Ku Klux Klan, did we? Mm. And if we had, Christians would rightly be infuriated because they would say, stop associating Us with these our letters, name. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, um, but to her credit, she said, yes, I was absolutely correct. And she kept meaning to do that. Basically, I think she was saying that she forgets. Now, I can forget from time to time. It's just about making a conscious effort. And um, I'm writing to David Cameron and Jeremy Corbyn because both of them, neither of them used Daesh. Maybe certainly in the last week they weren't, but I'm going to write to them. I'm going to write to all MPs and media outlets urging them because I don't think it's deliberate. I do think people will, and, and from Theresa May's response, I was quite surprised. She understood exactly why it was important to use the term Daesh. Your calendar's very busy at the minute. Listening, you're mm. out at Akeley. Mm-hmm. How do you fit that into your calendar? Um, well, I only went for an hour, um, and I went after we'd finished work. Um, so, but actually, uh, I was sorry that I could only stay for an hour because it was great fun. Where was it? it? Was really good. It was in Postle Park, um, and it was run by NG Homes with funding from the Scottish government. And the funding is to integrate different communities with each other. Sometimes you find the integration events bring together uh, one community with each other, you know, so it might bring together the Chinese community or the African community. This was really, really good. It had a genuine mix of people. There were a lot of older people from sheltered housing, um, a lot of, you know, people who'd been born and brought up in Springburn and Postle Park, lots of Chinese families and a number of African families. And they were all up. There was... um, 
you know, pensioners from Springburn dancing with wee Chinese kids uh, doing the Gay Gordons. It was really lovely. Plus, um, there was food from all of these different... I never saw any African food, but there was lots of Chinese food. And Hang on, I'm not a big Kelly man, but you, you mentioned food. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm interested in this. We'll have to have a talk about this. Well, they had haggis, neeps, tatties, oh. and all sorts of Chinese dumplings and... Chicken satay and oh. Chinese chips yeah, and it's breakfast time now. <laughs> I know it was it was pretty it was pretty impressive. They also had cream buns. It was a really strange and sausage rolls. It was a really strange mix of food, I have to say. But really uh, and I got talking to some people from the Karen scheme in uh, Springburn, uh, a man by the name of Jim wearing a CU Jimmy hat. Um, and uh, oh, we just had a really good laugh and we talked about the problems with the park next to them, Eastfield Park, which I've been doing some work on. So it was great. It was really useful because I've made different connections there. But I had a great time and I just witnessed a really interesting event. So what else is happening this month? Any other items in the calendar that you're going to try and squeeze an hour into? Yeah, I've got a number of um, things going on, uh, Christmas events. But if there's any community groups out there that are, or any schools or youth groups or anything that are doing things around Christmas, uh, let me know because uh, I'm a real Christmas person. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I'd love to come along, even if I can only pop along for half an hour. It would be really good just to meet people and I want to get right across the constituency. So anything happening, please, please let me know. It's a time of year when people get together anyway, so it'd be a great chance for you to yeah. to meet everyone and they can they can grab you and tell you what they need to tell you because people are coming together anyway for parties and yeah. things like this time of year. And the thing about me at Christmas is, see if I don't get invited, I just invite myself. <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> I don't just turn up. <laughs> I know, just turn up. Um, one thing you won't just have to turn up to is Ivan McKee's adoption. I might not get in if the tickets all sell out before I get mine. I know, I've not actually booked mine yet, so I'm going to mm. have to do this before this podcast goes out. So Ivan mm. McKee's adoption, he's going to be the candidate for Proven mm-hmm. at the Scottish Parliament. And his formal adoption by the branch is on the 8th of January next year. It's in Drygate, yeah. I think. Yes. I have never been to Drygate. So I'm have you not? No, never been. Jerry? I know, it's pretty close to me as well, but I've just never been. It's a lovely venue. It's a really, you'll love it. Mm, looking forward to it. That's a, it sounds like a really cool event, but that mm. is, you can get that in Eventbrite, and uh, I'll put the link to it in the show notes if you want to click on that, or if you search for Ivan McKee Adoption Drygate, I'm sure you'll find yeah. it. Yeah. What can people expect for an adoption on? Well, it's funny because um, I asked somebody if they wanted to come to my adoption. It wasn't a party member, it was um, just somebody I'd been talking to in Springburn one day, and I said, you know, feel free to come to my adoption next week, and she said, oh, and she seemed a bit taken aback, and she said, um could I bring a colleague with me who's interested in adopting children? And I thought, oh, right, <laughs> OK, you need to stop using the lingo. And so um, basically the adoption is the social and fundraising event to mark the fact that we have a candidate. And you get uh, politicians come along and make political speeches about why this person is so good. So who's got? He's got Tommy Shepherd, MP, oh, coming great along. Speaker, yeah. Yep, he's a brilliant speaker. And he's got Elaine C. Smith coming along. And oh, who's the other one? I can't remember who the other one is. Can't, no, I don't think so. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is Hamza. Maybe it is Hamza. Anyway, it'll be a great night. Um, good entertainment. A good chance to get around and just chat to lots of people. I think we're going to sell out before Christmas. So I would say um, get your tickets before then. I really hate the idea that particularly proven members are going to find themselves not able to get in. So, um, yeah, look it up and, and come along Friday the 8th of January. It'll be a great night. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Parliamental Land. Oh.
I know. Anyway, but if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter at ParlamentalPod, on Facebook, search for Parlamental, and via email at ParlamentalPodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. And I'll be back in a fortnight with another episode. So thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.